Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. All right, everybody, here we go. Welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. Let's step back into the ring, back into time. Let's get wall to wall and treetop tall with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller, in the great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. Hey, Merry Christmas, stud. Are you ready for it? Yeah, well, man, we're we're getting there. You know, uh, I guess a little preparation takes a little preparation to get all of it done, obviously. But, uh, yeah, we're we're working on it. And uh, I think we might be able to make a little trip up north to Kentucky again and and uh, say hello to my son, my grandson. And, uh, and heck, maybe do another one of those little series about uh, some wrestling, man. <laughs> hey, that's cool. How, how, how long of a drive is it to where your son lives? It's about uh, four and a half hours. Okay, north. that's yeah, that's not that's not too bad. And hey, by the way, if you're ready for Christmas and you're still looking for something special for somebody, stud, how about tnstud.com? You got some pretty cool stuff on there. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, everybody's welcome. To go take a look, uh, see what's there. Uh, if you can get uh, ordered, if I can get your order by December 10th, I'll be able, I think, to get it to you before Christmas and. Quite a bit of stuff on there, and uh, obviously, uh, I guess they could do a classic continental wrestling too. Hey, classiccontinentalwrestling hey. dot com, and uh, and uh, get on that for that'd make a great Christmas present. Absolutely. Plus, you can enjoy that four ninety nine and get started for absolutely free. So, classiccontinentalwrestling.com. That's a great. That's a great gift for Christmas. You've got stud T-shirts. You've got stud photos. You've got autograph copies of Brutus. All at tnstud.com. And you said by the tenth, if they get the order in by the tenth, you can get it shipped out, and they can get it in time for Christmas. I think I certainly can do that. That's awesome. All right. So we hope everybody is ready for the Christmas season. And as we start today, stud, I've got two questions right away today. I've been wondering all week if anyone contacted you about whether or not your Southeastern Wrestling Company was the first in history to run two cities on Thanksgiving Day. I think that's a pretty big deal. Oh, yeah, it it was. And uh, actually, I did get it. Somebody contacted me, a gentleman named Flint Benson uh, from the NWA Mid-Atlantic Territory thought that its owner, Jim Crockett, uh, ran two shows on Thanksgiving starting in 1967. 
And uh, so, you know, I sent him a nice little letter back and I thanked him for that. And then a day later, he got back in touch with me and said, you know, Ron, I'm wrong about that, uh, that that didn't happen until 1980. So that being the case, I was the first to ever <laughs> run two Thanksgiving shows right. uh, in two different states. Uh, and uh, so by a couple of years, I guess I beat him by a couple of years. And uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, and, and, then, and then again, you know, I'm still laying that out there, Dave. Uh, anybody can prove otherwise about uh, me being the first wrestling company to run those two cities on a Thanksgiving day. They're still welcome to get in touch with me and uh, – I'll be glad to announce it, but uh, this gentleman thought he had found out 67 was a date, and then he got back and said, no, I'm wrong, right? I'm wrong, Ron, and uh, you're right. Uh, so uh, it was 1980 before they did it. Hey, it really is quite an accomplishment, Ron, For I mean, for any territory, much less a small one like you had that seemed like a gigantic territory. So my second question today is based on the title of this studcast. It's called... The show is called Knoxville. This is episode number 278. Number 278. It's called Knoxville 12178. That's the date. And Pensacola 12378. Does that mean this might be the first time we're going to take a look at a Pensacola card? All right. That's uh, that's it. Uh, you know, and uh, obviously that 12-1 is uh, December 1st. Knoxville was running two days later. We're going to talk about a card, which we I don't know that we've ever done for uh, the southeastern uh, end down there, Gulf Coast. Uh, we're going to talk about a Pensacola card that was on December 3rd, 1978. So it's always, a, you know, a completely different card, Pensacola was, than the three major markets in the Gulf Coast. And that was because it was only 50 miles away from Mobile. And there was an overlap, obviously, in the television signals. Uh, from our mobile TV station. So that meant they got to see the same TV on the same day in Pensacola as they did in Mobile. And that meant that we always had to have a completely different card in Pensacola than what Mobile had. So Pensacola was the headquarters, man. It was kind of the home uh, for all the wrestlers in the Gulf Coast Territory. Mm-hmm. It had a beautiful building right down on Pensacola Bay. And some of the greatest wrestling fans in the world in that town. And uh, this Pensacola card that we're going to be talking about on December 3rd, 1978, was a very special one because of one match in particular. Hmm. All right. I can't wait to hear about that match. And listen, Stad, I hope you don't mind, but I have one more question before we begin our ride today. I know your father in 1954 chose Mobile as the home for the original Gulf Coast Territory. Why did you choose Pensacola? Is that because you guys were all living there? Well, you know, basically, i got to be honest, I used it, man. I used that city and its beach as a recruiting tool. Hello. <laughs> Think about it, you know. to grow, It helped me to draw, a, you know, great talent into the territory. <laughs> White uh, sands, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. You know, it had one major thing that Mobile didn't have. It had one of the most beautiful beaches in the world. And, uh, and uh, you know, I got to be honest, man, I knew, as a, for a matter of fact, because I was one, that every wrestler had basically two things other than big money that he wanted most. Mm-hmm. And that was a good gym and a great tan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, Pensacola had some good gyms, and, uh, and there was no comparison between the dirty water and the dark brown sands of the mobile beaches, <laughs> beautiful blue water and the bright white sand beach uh, 
uh, there in Pensacola. So, when you know, uh, <laughs> it, it, uh, that sand there was so white it hurt your eyes just looking at it sometimes. Oh, it was, it was like the same effect as, as snow blindness, no doubt. And listen, every time I rode across the, the Mobile Bay, we always said, Ooh, that's some nasty looking water right there. All right, but listen, that all makes sense to me. Having been on that beach many times myself, hard to believe that something as simple as where your wrestlers lived was going to have such a powerful effect on your future success. All right, so I can already tell this stud cast is going to be another eye-opening experience. So how do you get it started? Where do we ride first today? Well, since we're already talking about Pensacola, let's start this ride there. You know, we're going to focus on a special cart, totally different from what the three major Gulf Coast cities were getting on that same week. And it had one match that we and probably no other territory in the country had ever done before. Uh, So this studcast has the last TV in the month of November rating period of 1978. It's obviously these TVs are before the show date, the actual show date. So we're getting the last, the fourth week of the November rating period in this show. And it was loaded for that reason. We just wanted to load up all those those uh, shows in that time of the year, man, to get the big rating book. And it was especially important down there because we'd only had one rating period so far. So this was going to be a big one. And obviously, November is a big book. So uh, so it's the last TV in November is on this one. And I'm going to give everybody the results of the Pensacola card. Uh, we'll talk about the attendance there. And uh, and we'll do what we did last week and, and give the attendance for the other five cities that ran that week. And I'll also do myself, uh, do my very best to give a quick rundown of the talent that was coming and going in both territories at that time. I've kind of mentioned it for the last two studcasts, but we haven't been able to get to it. So uh, it's something I've not been able to do lately, but uh, we're going to take a shot at it today, Dave. Cool. All right. Then we're going to ride north, man, into the Knoxville Coliseum on the first day of December 1978. And uh, it's a a big event there, obviously. uh, A very unusual tag team night. The uh, whole card was tag team except for one match. And this was like the card in Pensacola. It had a very special match. That one match that wasn't a tag was a special match for Knoxville as well as what Pensacola was going to be getting. And we'll take a look at Southeastern Knoxville's last TV in the November rating period, same as we're doing with this one that we're talking about that uh, for Pensacola. And then we'll give everybody the results of the Knoxville card and the attendance there and uh, – and then after after all that, Dave, hopefully we're going to have another shot at a learning tree question. All right, cool deal. All right, can't wait to hear about the special match in both territories and a great learning tree question we didn't get to last episode. I had a chance to see it, and it's very, very well worth it. So I hope we get time for that. So what was the card? Let's go to Pensacola, Florida's Municipal Auditorium, Sunday, December 3rd, 1978. Okay, so this one opened with Frankie Lane, who was a great little performer, man, a young kid. Uh, And uh, he's going up against a newcomer down there, a guy that's already been in Knoxville, but has now been sent to to work in the Gulf Coast, uh, Ken Dillinger. Second match was uh, Terry Gibbs uh, facing off against an always strong Norvell Austin man, great talent, uh, 
And then the next match was a really, really special event, man. Something we had never done before. Uh, Rob and I had come up with a crazy idea for this one, man. Really crazy idea. Uh, we booked the two heel managers in a match against each other. Gorgeous George Jr. against Billy Spears. Wow. All right. I mean, did, did you say that really? Billy Spears against Gorgeous George Jr.? I've never heard anything like that. Two heel managers taking each other on. Yeah. I don't think anybody <laughs> else had ever heard of it either, Dave. You know, uh, but, you know, uh, great bookers, man, they, they do things that's never been done before. You can't be a great booker if you don't do something that's never been done before. And uh, we like to do as much of that as we could. And uh, so these two heel managers had recently, as, as you recall, uh, every week they've been helping each other out. They've been getting involved in each other's matches. And now they were going to be forced to compete against each other. For quite possibly, like like I said, for the first time in wrestling history, I think. Then the Mongolian Stomper, next match, managed by Gorgeous George Jr., and he's going up against the wrestling pro. And then an old school best two out of three falls match. You didn't see those much anymore at that time. A six-man tag match. Had Tony Charles. It had my brother Robert. And, uh, and the newcomer down there that's really gotten over in a couple of weeks, that's Jimmy Golden. And they were against Don Carson, the assassin, and David Schultz, as managed by Billy Spears. And then the main event was the first return match for the Southeastern Championship since Bob won the belt 10 days earlier on Thanksgiving night, Mobile. And uh, for people that don't know, Mobile, Alabama is only 50 miles away from Pensacola, Florida. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's going to be some some fans that's going to show up in, <laughs> in, that, in, in Pensacola where we're hoping, we were hoping, we're going to get a lot of fans from Mobile that were going to come to Pensacola maybe for the first time ever. Wow. And wow. Uh, Gorgeous George Jr. is obviously going to be in the Stompers corner. Hmm. All right. Really a spectacular six-match card. For the first time ever, two heel managers against each other, a great six-man tag, and the first return match for the Southeastern title. All of that only 50 miles from Mobile, the best-drawing city in the territory. So was there a particular reason for such a strong card? I think I know the answer to this, but, but go ahead. Well, we felt, you know, it was time to see how many Mobile fans we could get to drive to Pensacola. And uh, Pensacola was already doing well. I mean, we were drawing some good crowds in Pensacola. But this card, we looked at it, and when we talked about it, you know, we're not going to do this manager versus manager everywhere. And, uh, you know, we said, gosh, this is a tremendous card. And uh, we, we thought, uh, you know, when Rob and I talked about it, that this could be the start of getting those Mobile fans to get in the car and make that 50-mile trip over there. And, uh, and if it worked, it was going to make our business stronger and it was going to give our fans more options. So uh, here you are uh, going, <laughs> you know, here we were going to work this Pensacola card into the TV show, you know. So uh, normally, uh, you know, it, uh, we uh, we had the three major markets. That would have been the thing that we were publicizing. But uh, we want to stick this into the show. So, uh, you know, um, uh, so I'll answer, uh, uh, you know, kind of what we had in mind when we were piecing this whole thing together, man, about, uh, so let's start with the beginning of the TV show. All right. And it opened up with Charlie Platt 
And obviously he was giving the fans the info about today's TV show, being one of the biggest in the history of the sport. Uh, it had two six-man tags, at, which is really unusual for a television show, plus a Southeastern Championship match with a great opponent for Bob Armstrong, who was the new champion, all that in mm -hmm. one show. So, I mean, we were really putting some heavy-duty TV shows together. Yeah. Well, we want to really pop these big numbers a couple months when those books came out. Yeah. So when the cameras uh, backed away from the close-up that opened the show, Charlie was sitting at the big set with Tony Charles, with Robert Fuller, and Jimmy Golan, uh, three of the guys that's in the six-man tag on this show. And the studio audience obviously welcomed that, those three with a big round of applause. And uh, then they watched the video from the territory-changing uh, Thanksgiving night match in Mobile, in which it was a crazy tag match. And it showed Billy Spears getting involved in the match. Uh, and then uh, newcomer Jimmy Golden, who had on the TV last week's TV, won the big battle royal uh, and was there to get even with Billy Spears. Well, he saw Billy Spears get involved, standing back by the dressing room. He came to the ring. And, uh, and he started taking care of Billy Spears. And then uh, Tony Charles was on top. He was about to uh, pin the team that uh, Rob and him were wrestling against, who were the champions, Don Carson and the Assassin. And David Schultz comes down naturally. He wants Tony Charles. I mean, they, they got a real thing going, these two. And uh, so, you know, it, ultimately, uh, Schultz actually cost Tony – to lose the match and to lose the belts that Rob and him had just won the week before. So in all the cities the following week, except for Pensacola, fans were going to get the new team of Robert and Jimmy Golden going against, uh, going after the Southeastern belts. Plus they were going to see Tony Charles in a single match against David Schultz. So the answer to your earlier question about how we're going to work this uh, six man tag into the show, uh, uh, that's the first way we're going to do it, man. Uh, <laughs> this was one of the teams on that Pensacola card, mm -hmm. uh, Robert, Tony, and uh, Jimmy Golden, that are going to be in wrestling on this television. So when they finished at the set and uh, watched the videos, all three of those stars went to the ring for the first of two six-man tags on the TV show. When the match ended, the studio exploded, man, with the victory. Obviously, fans loved those six-man tags, and to put two of them into one show really was really was a great idea. Yeah, that's pretty slick, Ron, really. It was just the beginning, Dave, of a great TV. Uh, Norvell Austin was next. He hadn't been on TV very much at all. He got him a great win, and he used his really unique diving headbutt, man. I always loved to watch him do that. It was really, really a devastating move. And uh, he was going to become a much more uh, important factor in the territory down there. Uh, but, uh, you know, we wouldn't put him on this TV because we didn't want him to be forgotten. We had a lot of great talent there in the territory. But uh, there was always a spot for Norvell, and uh, he was going to be a uh, big-time man as far as, uh, as far as all that was current. Well, and then at this point, it was time basically for the personality profile, and uh, this was the second way we worked that great Pensacola card into the, this TV show. Uh, we knew that uh, heel versus heel manager on that Pensacola card 
you know, Rob and I talked about it. Uh, it could be a great deal, but it could possibly backfire on us, you know, and it had never been done before to our knowledge. Don't know anybody that had ever done that before. So, you know, we wanted to make sure that uh, it, it wouldn't hurt us. And, uh, you know, that uh, in case it, it didn't work. So for the first time, uh, we decided on this show to do two personality profiles uh, for, for and put them into one show. Uh, obviously, each market's going to get the one personality profile, but we're going to do a special one uh, for Mobile, Alabama. It's a pre-recorded personality profile. We inserted it in the Mobile TV market show, and uh, that show on that market only, and uh, it was. This profile was specifically for Pensacola's card. It was to promote the Pensacola match coming up to try to get those mobile fans to come over. And then later, uh, after we finished this first personality profile and when the show was being done live, <laughs> we did the second one for the other markets. Oh, wow. That's uh, that's pretty cool way to do that. Really ingenious. All right. So who was on the pre-recorded profile? Well, it was Billy Spears and Gorgeous George Jr. Uh, in an empty studio, obviously. We didn't want everybody, uh, people in, uh, in uh, obviously, the Dothan area the, or any place else to see this except for those people in that Mobile and Pensacola market. So uh, both those two guys, Spears and Gorgeous George, were pretty darn upset about being put in the ring against each other. You know, and they were right away, both were on the same page and they started accusing the Southeastern officials of coming up with this idea to try to create a problem between the two of them. There was no problem, you know, and uh, and then Charlie picked up on it and he suggested that, you know, they might have done it because you guys have helped each other so many times here lately. <laughs> Keep from losing your belts, you, George, <laughs> from losing the stomper's belt and you, uh, <laughs> with the uh, with the uh, old Billy about uh, you know Carson and the and the uh, and the assassin. So basically, Charlie had a great point. So uh, at toward the end of this profile, these guys basically shook hands. Uh, they kind of laughed about it at the end of the profile, and uh, you know they they made a uh, they made a little uh, an agreement right there between them <laughs> that yeah okay so they booked us in this match. But I promise you, and you're going to promise me, that we're not going to have a problem about this. We're going to go down there, and uh, neither one of us are going to care who wins the match. We're not going, we're not going to, uh, to, <laughs> to uh, jeopardize our friendship right. you know, for one another. Right. So they're basically saying we're going we're gonna to work this match, you know, and uh, we don't care if the promoters like it or not. All right. So, all right. Fine. So what was the subject of the live personality profile and who was in the next TV match? Okay. So the profile, the second profile we did, we did it live in the show and it was with Bob Armstrong and he was obviously talking about his win of the Southeastern title. And, uh, and he, we watched the video, he watched the video and he commented on that video with him and Charlie uh, basically, it showed how he won the championship. And then Bob went straight into the ring. He was the next guy on this card. So, uh, And he defended his uh, newly won Southeastern belt, uh, not just to, against in, just a no-name opponent like most people were in most territories. He's defending his championship 
against a guy who'd not been in that territory at all, but who was one of the greatest workers in the world. He was defending against Jerry Lawler on TV. So, wow, you can't get a much better match than that. And, uh, so then the last match on that show was the second six-man tag on the TV, and it featured the other team was, was good, that was going to be in that Pensacola six-man tag, Don Carson, the assassin, and David Schultz, and they were managed by Billy Spears. <laughs> That's a pretty cool TV show right there. So what happened in Pensacola, Florida, Sunday night, December 3rd, 1978. Well, Frankie Lane beat Ken Dillinger. Uh, Dillinger's first night in. Frankie Lane is a pretty good little wrestler, man. Uh, then uh, Norvell Austin won over Terry Gibbs. Uh, and then Rob Rob told me, you know, I wasn't down there. You know, but we talked afterward, and Rob said the heel versus heel manager match stole the show. <laughs> you know, he said – you both be Spears and Gigi started the match just like they had promised on the profile. They basically didn't hardly touch each other. They patted each other on the back, and then and then he said uh, they were avoiding kind of uh, any contact of any kind. But uh, that didn't continue, you know. Uh, he said one point there after a few minutes of that type of deal. He said uh, Spears turned his back, and Gorgeous George Jr. read him in the ropes and tried to roll him up. And he said, that started it. And then he said, the egos. He said, their egos got turned on, man. And then he said, they got into a hell of a fight. He said, both of them end up bleeding. And he said, the building was going absolutely crazy. There's these two heels that were big buddies, supposedly. And now they're just fighting each other like crazy. Uh, so then Stomper and the Carson and the Assassin, and the, they're watching this. They had to come down and stop it. They had well, Stomper pulled Gigi off and Carson Assassin <laughs> grabbed Spears and they had to pull them apart. <laughs> so that turned, Rob said, turned out to be the match of the night. So then the Stomper uh, took care of the wrestling pro in the next match. Uh, and then in the two out of three falls, six man tag, uh, each of them took a fall. Each team won a fall. And then the third fall was stopped. Uh, both teams got disqualified, basically, in the third fall. Bob Armstrong defended his title that same uh, night, the 3rd of December, against Jerry Lawler again. And there was a live match this time, not on TV, for fans there. And uh, I had another great match. Wow, Jerry Lawler was a tremendous talent, and uh, obviously Bob as well. Uh, anytime you got those two guys in the ring, fans were going to get to see the best. Oh, absolutely, no doubt. All right, so I think, Ron, you said we were going to get the entire week's attendance this time. So how did you do? Well, it was the first week of December, man, and traditionally that's one of the worst weeks of the year for wrestling all over the world. Uh, and the week started off on that Pensacola Sunday. Uh, and, uh, wow. We had a tremendous crowd. We had 5,100 people in that auditorium, man. It was the first total sellout we'd ever had in the auditorium since we'd been there, since we started. And we probably had 1,000 fans, Rob said, were turned away. And obviously some of those were probably from Mobile. 
So I, I think those Mobile fans came because it was such a much bigger crowd than normal. There had to be a lot of those people came out of Mobile. Uh, that same week, uh, that was a Sunday night on Monday in Montgomery. We had 3,000 on Tuesday in Mobile. We had 4,300 on uh, Thursday in Panama City. We had 2,100. Uh, Dothan on Friday night had 3,900, and we ran Oxford, Alabama, that had about 1,700. We topped 20,000 fans in the first week of December in 1978. That's unheard of, man, uh, especially in a small territory and that time of year especially. Wow, no doubt. All right, how about that quick rundown of the talent coming and going in both southeastern territories that you mentioned? Well, in the prior two months, man, and this is pretty amazing, uh, in the month of October and November of 1978, uh, these are the people that exchanged and changed places and came and went uh, in that short two-month period of time. Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden, Terry Gibbs, and Ken Dillinger, total of four guys, had left the Tennessee Territory and gone into the Gulf Coast Territory. Uh, besides those four, you had Norvell Austin and you had Sir Winston that came and were just added into the crew. They didn't come from from uh, Knoxville, but they, they were added to the crew that was already there. And then if you look at what was going on in Tennessee, I had gone from the Alabama Territory to Tennessee. I had gone north to Tennessee. So had Mike Stallings and so had Charlie Cook. They were in the Tennessee Territory after two months. And Ken Lucas, Bob Orton Jr., and the Mighty Yankee uh, had all been added to the crew in Knoxville during that time. And Tor Tanaka had arrived and left, and he was going to be coming back soon. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. So if I counted this properly, and I got my slashes on my paper here, that's 13 wrestlers that had shifted positions in just two months. All right, so I tell you what, this is a great place for a break. Let's do that. When we return, we're going to be riding north into Knoxville this time for another fine card and TV show there. We're going to do that when we come back on this Studcast. Stay with us. All right, Studcast fans. Ron would like to thank every one of you that have subscribed to his fantastic streaming channel, ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. And thank those that have sent comments about the content. It already has hundreds of hours of old-school classic TV shows from Southeastern and Continental, documentaries, and one-of-a-kind old-school wrestling entertainment. But it's only the beginning. Check it out for free with a one-week trial. The content grows weekly, including the audio version of his blockbuster book, Brutus. Start your ride today for only $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year at Classic Continental Wrestling. Com. Okay, here we go. Welcome back in episode number 278. And this time we go back to Knoxville. So what was the Coliseum card for Friday night, December 1st, 1978 in Knoxville? Well, this was an unusual day for one, you know, the, the Pensacola had this, the big six man tag and a uh, you know, the championship single match. This one had four tag team matches on it, uh, called it Tag Team Night, and it had one single match. But the single match was a very special event, that uh, something that the fans had been waiting on for a long time. 
So let's start with the first tag match of the night. Uh, Charlie Cook, who had made a great impression on fans since he arrived in uh, Knoxville. He was partnered up with Dennis Hall, and they were going to be wrestling against the team of the Mighty Yankee and George McCrary. It was a 30-minute time limit match because there were four tag matches on the card. Two of them are going to be 30-minute time limits. And then the second tag match on that card was with four big stars. Uh, Bob Roop and Bob Orton Jr. were wrestling against Rip Smith and Mike Stallings. That was a 30-minute time limit match. And then the special event, we placed it in the middle of the card. It was the only match that was going to be a single. And like I said earlier, fans had been waiting on this one. Kevin Sullivan was going to finally get his hands on Ron Wright in an anything-goes match. You know, they'd had Wright had had his bounty out there on Sullivan. Sullivan had a bounty out on Ron Wright. Finally, the two are going to go head-to-head on this match and on this night. And then the next tag match on that card was for the Southeastern Tag Championship. The champions were defending against another new team for them. Uh, One of the participants was in his second match of the night. Uh, Kevin Sullivan is going to wrestle against Ron Wright, and he's going to come back and partner up with Ken Lucas, and uh, and they're going to try get a first shot for the Southeastern belts. Uh, Then the last match of the night was going to include – All the participants, everybody that had been in the ring during the course of the night were going to come back to the ring for a Canadian Lumberjack tag match. And me and Ronnie Garvin are going to be in this last tag against the great Malenko and the Destroyer. Okay, so that's another great card, Stud. So what about the last TV show in the November rating period? Well, obviously, lots of guys were on this, too, you know, um, because we did something that had never been done on a Southeastern show before. We This entire TV show is going to be tag matches. All four matches are going to be tags. So uh, four tag matches on the show. Uh, one of them was going to be for the Southeastern Tag Championship with Ron Wright's team that had been dominant, man, in that part of the country. Since they won the championship, they were going to be defending their belt as one of those four matches. So this TV opened up with less uh, running down the cart, which was a big one, obviously, with uh, all those tag matches. Uh, and then Ron Wright basically was uh, sitting with Les when uh, when they backed away from the tight shot with Les. There was Ron Wright, and uh, Les pretty much right away invited him, you know, and said, "Thank you for being here with me, Ron, uh, and I'd like to have you stay for the entire show because this is an all tag show, and you've got the tag champions, and they're going to be defending the championship during the course of the show, and uh, and uh, I want to have your comments. I'd like to hear what you have to say about all these different tag combinations. Well, obviously, uh, Ron Wright, uh, you know, he said, the only time you'll have to leave, Ron, is I guess you'll want to go to the ring when your champions are defending on TV. But other than that, I'd like to have you here with me. So, you know, like old Ron Wright always was, as you can imagine, his chest got all puffed out, man, because I, I was there in Knoxville. I'm watching this. Uh, uh, I'm part of this show, actually. So, uh, you know, and his chest is all puffed out, and you know, he thinks he's going to be the star of the show, right? So Les kind of went on, uh, and Wright didn't know what the card was. So, you know, Les continued to hit him with the good news for him. 
And he told Ron, he said, you know, Ron, I don't know if you're aware, but the southeastern officials have decided that uh, they're not going to allow Kevin Sullivan to have any bounty matches <laughs> with you anymore. Mm-hmm. So Wright was elated. He was like, oh, and he was so happy about it. He, you know, and uh, him and Les had been having a few problems. Les didn't. Les wasn't crazy about uh, Ron Wright, uh, <laughs> but uh, Ron just reached <laughs> over there, man, threw his arm around Les's neck, hugged him, and thanked him. <laughs> you know, just like Les was responsible for this decision, you know. And then Wright said, oh, man, he says, not only am I happy, he says, my family's going to be happy. These bounty matches, they've been hard on us, you know. He said, been worried about getting hurt. And he was basically kind of on cloud nine. So, you know, so then Les asked him, he says, uh, you know, Ron, he goes, uh, every week, you know, and I know the fans don't know this, but he goes, because we wrestle on Friday night and then the TV is the very next day, he said, they always post the matches for the following Friday night in your dressing rooms, the and uh, both dressing rooms. So he said, uh, he asked him, he said, did you happen to take a look at uh, what you're going to be doing next Friday night, who you're going to be wrestling? So uh, Ron says, uh, uh, well, yes, no, actually I didn't look this week, you know, and he said, uh, uh, he said, but I'm not worried about it anymore. He says, it ain't going to be a bounty match. That's all I care about. And we're finished. Those things are done. You know, he, he was happy as hell. And then Les said, well, he goes, well, <laughs> Ron, he goes, I'm sorry to have to tell you, but uh, he says, uh, oh, I wish you'd have seen this before I brought this up. But he goes, next Friday night, uh, you're going to be wrestling again. Uh, you're going to be in a single match. And uh, Wright was like, whoa, now, Les, what, what are you talking about? You know, and uh, and uh, he says, the, you know, uh, I don't care uh, who it is, as long as it ain't another one of them bounty matches. And Les said, well, it's, it's not, Ron, it's not. He says, uh, you're going to be wrestling against the man who set up the bounty matches. You're going to be wrestling Kevin Sullivan. <laughs> so, wow, the studio loved it. They exploded, and boy, so did O'Ron, man. I mean, uh, him and Les's friendship didn't last very long. Man. He started, uh, and so Les saw that he was very upset. He started screaming. <laughs> he was, he, Les was, Les just threw it to the ring. He, they said, "Hey, uh, let's ring the bell up there, Phil Rady. Let's get the first match started." And Ron Wright still screaming. The studios still laughing at him and uh you know he said uh you know i thought people were <laughs> i thought man when i was watching he was screaming so loud that they could hear him in downtown knoxville man far outside the studio so <laughs> he jumped up from the set man he started screaming at less in the studio audience and they were still laughing at him and he headed for the dressing room <laughs> and he promised less so Les started yelling at, hey, Ron, come back, come back. You know, you're going to help with the commentary. And Wright was gone. He wasn't going to help with nothing, man. He was very upset. He'd been sneaked into a single match with Kevin Sullivan, the guy that he wanted to wrestle the least. So then lots of the studio crowd at this point, they were already on their feet, man, laughing and celebrating Ron Wright's departure from the set. And along came Rip Smith and Mike Stolle. It's going to be the first of uh, eight teams that were going to be on the that card the following Friday night. And uh, so they entered the ring, and, um, and they got themselves a big win right off the bat. 
And then Stallings and uh, Smith uh, did it first interview from the set with Les. And their opponents for the next Friday night, Bob Roop and uh, Bob Orton Jr., were in Studio B. Had two really good interviews. And then uh, uh, this, pro- this show's off to a pretty good start. Hey, I tell you, that's a great way to open this TV. So who is in the second TV tag match? Well, the men in Studio B were, man. That was Bob Roop and uh, Bob Orton Jr. And they were against a very good team, man, Charlie Cook and Dennis Hall. Uh, and that Dennis Hall and Charlie Cook were also one of those eight teams in the ring the following Friday night uh, in the Coliseum. And uh, Roop and Orton uh, got the win. They actually beat Dennis Hall in the match. Uh, but it wasn't easy. And the match lasted almost 15 minutes. So it was a great match uh, for t- TV matches. Didn't normally last that long. Wow. All right. So what about the personality profile? Who was in that? Well, a young talent, man, that was really over. Uh, a guy that was becoming a real star in Knoxville, uh, Kevin Sullivan, uh, joined Les uh, to a standing ovation from the studio audience when he came on the set with Les. And he and Les watched a really fantastic montage of matches recorded over a two-month period of time. Uh, and this montage of videos uh, pretty much explained everything that had happened between Kevin Sullivan and Ron Wright, how all of it got started, uh, the, both of the bounties, the whole thing. Uh, the video started out actually with Bob Roop on a match September 29th, 1978. It was the first bounty match that Ron Wright had offered uh, to get Kevin Sullivan sent to jail, sent to jail, <laughs> kind of sent to jail, is that he would have rather been in jail than been in an hospital. But uh, Ron Wright, uh, you know, had that $5,000 bounty. He offered anybody that could put Sullivan in the hospital. And then on uh, next three weeks later, uh, you know, on the 27th, uh, Tor Tanaka was partners with Kevin Sullivan. Didn't happen that night. Bob Roop didn't win that, didn't win, didn't get the bounty. Uh, and uh, basically about three weeks later, Tor Tanaka was Kevin's partner and he turned on him that night. And uh, that's the night that Kevin went to the hospital. And then uh, Tanaka disappeared out of the territory after they caught him uh, collecting the bounty from Ron Wright out in the parking lot on video. Uh, everybody knew who got paid for it, and Tanaka had not been back since. So two weeks later, after that, uh, they showed a video of the return of Kevin. He had been in the hospital for a week. He was handcuffed to Ron Wright. And after that night, uh, that's when Kevin started offering. He doubled the bounty that Ron Wright had out there on him to 10000 for anybody that could put Ron Wright in the hospital. So then there was a piece of two more bounty matches uh, uh, with wrestlers uh, wrestling right to see if they could send right to the hospital. <laughs> now that was shown. And then finally, uh, the next Friday would be the head to head event. Uh, finally going to have Kevin Sullivan against Ron Wright. Yeah. So basically the videos told a great story, man, uh, over a period of about two months. And then the following Friday night, uh, it's going to be up to the two wrestlers, Ron Wright and Kevin Sullivan. Uh, that's that story. That'd tell the tale oh, <laughs> of oh, what was really going to happen between yeah. them. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that had to be a tremendous personality profile. It also took a lot of time 
to put that thing together. So who was in the third tag match of the show? Well, that was me and Ronnie, uh, Ronnie Garvin. And we're going to be in that lumberjack tag match on the end of this next show in the Coliseum against the great Malenko and the destroyer. And, uh, we, uh, we got a great win. Uh, wow. Uh, he jumped off the top rope and another wrestler's throat. And, uh, and I was lucky enough to put the fuller leg lock on the other one about the same time. So one of them, uh, one of them got pinned and the other one submitted. So that's a pretty good victory when you can do that to two guys. And then the last uh, match of the TV, uh, had another huge surprise in it for Ron Wright and his champions. They were defending the title on TV as part of the deal. Ron had left the desk immediately when he found out he was booked against Kevin Sullivan. He didn't go back at all. So they came to the ring first. They brought their belts out there. They were expecting to have an easy match on TV, you know, uh, because most matches were, especially if it's for the title. Uh, and a lot of several of the teams on the TV had me and Garvin, for instance, had two opponents that uh, were not really tough. So the studio and and Ron Wright exploded for the second time in this TV show because out to wrestle them came Kevin Sullivan, Ken Lucas <laughs> for the Southeastern Tag <laughs> Championship. Uh, and uh, they weren't expected to wrestle. The guys that they're going to end up wrestling the following Friday night again. <laughs> you know, so Phil Rady, man, he announced the match as a championship match. And uh, Ron Wright just ran to the set. They rang the bell and Wright went screaming to the set. He got in Les's face. You couldn't see it. The fans couldn't see it. But you can tell he was talking into Les's microphone louder than Les could have talked in it. And and as the bell rang to start the match, you could hear Wright demanding to know who set this up. And, and especially, he says, since Sullivan and Lucas already in the title match next Friday night, who made this match up? He was screaming. You know, and then he just... In the middle of the little uh, deal there, he said, I'm going to put a stop to this right now. And then he suddenly disappeared from the microphone. I mean, you couldn't see fans at home, obviously. You couldn't see their, their, their matches going on in the ring at this point. So they couldn't see where he went. But he returned to the TV dressing room. He went back to the dressing room. And a studio audience, man, they're really into a match already. I mean, Sullivan and Lucas tore into Condry and Nickerson. And uh, they had those guys flying around like balloons, man. <laughs> they were bumping those boys all over the ring. And the, about uh, there's usually about 200 or so fans in the studios. All you can get in there. They sounded like 3,000 people. I mean, so, you know, Les kind of got excited uh, that the action was moving fast. Uh, he was having a hard time keeping up with it. Uh, things were really, really happening in the ring. Then Ron Wright showed back up at the ring. And when he did, he had his chisel on his fist. Uh, he First thing he did was go in the ring, grab the referee, threw him over the top rope, and then he went to work, man, with that, with that infamous hunk of steel, man, that he busted so many people with. And he hit Kevin with it first. Dennis Condry held Kevin. He busted Kevin. Then uh, uh, Higgerson held Ken Lucas, and he busted Lucas, man. Uh, and, uh, wow, the three of them 
wouldn't stop. Those three guys in Condry, Hickerson, and Wright, they just stomped on these guys and uh, battered them and bloodied them uh, until they got chased out of the ring. I mean, they had four or five baby faces had to go out there and chase them away from them, get them out of the ring. So there was the last interview. And on that last interview, uh, Lucas and Sullivan went to the set with Les. Uh, they had a Somebody had thrown them a couple of towels and they were trying to wipe the blood from their faces and talk at the same time. Uh, there was blood all over the set. I noticed at the end of the show and then Ron Wright uh, in the Studio B, he promised his team that they wouldn't have to worry about Kevin Sullivan even making it to the tag match next, next Friday night. He said, because I'm wrestling him first and I'm going to beat him up and I'm going to bust him with my chisel again. <laughs> and uh, he's not going to even be there for the tag match. <laughs> so, you know, he said, I've already started saving your belts, guys. This is my plan. I'm going to get rid of Sullivan. You ain't going to have to wrestle but one guy. And he goes, you won't have to have the match at all. So uh, <laughs> it was a pretty good program, man. All right, good deal. All right, so I thought the Southeastern Gulf Coast TV today was as good as it gets, really. But this one is making it a little really hard to decide which TV was better. So what happened in the Coliseum six nights later? Charlie Cook and Dennis Dennis Hall, uh, they won the first tag match against the Mighty Yankee and uh, George McCrary, Bob Roop and Bob Orton Jr., they weren't able to beat Rip Smith and Mike Stallings in, a, in that just a 30-minute time limit match. So uh, we're going to bring that one back again the following week. It was a tremendous match between those four guys. And uh, we're going to make it an hour time limit the following week. So Roop and Orton are going to be in the next week, the following week against Smith and Stallings in a one-hour tag, tag, tag team match. Then uh, Ron Wright and Kevin Sullivan's showdown, man. Uh, it finally took place, and it had to be stopped, man. Uh, Condre Nickerson came down to save Ron Wright. Kevin Sullivan was piledriving him and leaving him totally laying, man. And uh, that obviously, when they jumped in the ring, it got Wright disqualified. And uh, it didn't take long for him to have to come down. I mean, Sullivan just tore right into Ron Wright, and within a few minutes, they came down and saved him. Uh, but however, you know, they couldn't leave uh, leave the ring uh, without – before they left the ring, uh, Ken Lucas came down to the ring, obviously. Why wouldn't he? I mean, uh, Kevin's his partner. So since they were all there at that point, Ron Wright is being helped back to the dressing room, and Lucas and, and Kevin, they got on the microphone, and they said, hey, we got a championship match. You guys are here. We're here. Let's just do it right now. And the fans in the building were sure ready for it. And the referee got them all four in the ring, and he rang the bell, man. So it went basically from Ron Wright and Kevin Sullivan's showdown right into the tag match for the championship. And uh, this time, Connery and Rose, uh, they did the bleeding. And what Ron Wright did it on the TV show the, that had uh, uh, bloodied up both Connery, bloodied up both uh, – uh, Sullivan and and poor old uh, Ken Lucas that kind of got stuck in all this. But uh, this time, uh, Condry and Hickerson, man, they ended up bleeding, man. And Ron Wright 
couldn't save them, man. He couldn't, and he couldn't save their belts either. Mm. Sullivan and Ken Lucas won the championship that night. And, uh, wow, what a great match they had. And the fans were really going crazy on that one. They really, really loved to see somebody finally beat that team that Ron Wright had. <laughs> Last tag match of that night was by far the wildest, man. It began with 16 of the 17 guys who were on the cart. All of them came down as lumberjacks. Uh, Ronnie Garvin and I were supposed to be wrestling against a great Malenko and the Destroyer, but it ended up with everybody in the ring. I mean, uh, you know, the first there was some interference from the behalf of Malenko and Destroyer. Uh, then uh, it's guys got thrown in the ring that wasn't in supposed to be in the ring. It ended up with the ring full of wrestlers. It's more like a battle royal than a lumberjack match. I mean, you couldn't tell who was who. <laughs> and all this interference uh, that happened was going to lead to some strange rules, uh, some strong rules for matches uh, in the following weeks. Hmm. All right. So how did you do on attendance for this particular night? Well, uh, Remember last week was Thanksgiving night. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a Coliseum record crowd, man, of about 5,800. Uh, this time it dropped by about 1,500 people to about 4,300. Huh. Now, it was, it was December 1st. Like I said, now the first, the early part of December is the worst worst part of the year for wrestling anywhere in the world, basically. Yeah. So, uh, you know, fans had an opportunity, and I'm sure they, those that were there for Thanksgiving looked around and went, wow, what the heck is going on here? Yeah. You know, yeah. but uh, – I was kind of prepared for it, and so were a lot of the wrestlers. Kind of a surprising drop to me. Pensacola, that we talked about earlier, two nights later on a Sunday, beat that number by almost a 1,000 fans. So what was happening in Knoxville, Ron? I mean, was it just was it the holidays were coming? What, what was the deal? Well, for one thing, man, uh, that card only had five matches and, and uh, instead of the six in Pensacola. Uh, Pensacola had a great card. They had that really unusual two heel managers wrestling against each other. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd mentioned to Bob Roop, uh, the booker, several times that that the five-match card compared to a six-match card was not a good idea and that uh, people deserved that six-match if you're having these big crowds. And, uh, and I think it was about that time, uh, Dave, that I started to realize that my Knoxville booker, Bob Roop, uh, was maybe not that good a booker, <laughs> certainly not as good as my brother and I <laughs> at that point. And uh, we were basically about 30 days away from 1979. Hmm. And that's going to be the year that's going to change everything. So I got my first uh, little squeaky feeling about Bob <laughs> Roop uh, on this big house that dropped. That was a big drop huh. from 5,800 to 4,300. And uh, you know, uh, there were some changes coming in, in a lot of different directions. All right. It sounds like it. All right, Stud. So I'm happy to say we are going to have enough time for a learning tree question this week. I wanted to get this one last week because it was about Thanksgiving matches, but we ran out of time. This question comes from Rhonda McLean. Rhonda McLean says, I have been a huge wrestling fan for many years and especially enjoyed holiday events such as Thanksgiving and Christmas nights. Did you find those events to have a different feel about them than any given night, I guess, a regular night? 
Oh, what a great question, Miss Miss McLean. I think that's her, the, what mm-hmm. the her name was, yep. Miss McLean. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> that's a what a super question. You know, because I've kind of thought I've always thought that I might have been the only one that felt like there was something special in the air on these big holiday events. And to me personally, there there was always uh, things that made wrestling on holidays different. Uh, but only one in particular. Uh, and uh, But first, before I get to how I felt about it, uh, let's talk about the wonderful holidays event uh, from a fan's perspective, the way I see that fans probably felt about holiday events. Uh, for fans, I think the overall experience of holiday wrestling began early uh, with what was happening in their homes. On these special days, before they ever arrived at the buildings, it started earlier in the day. They had their tickets and they knew where they were going, but uh, they had their they had their family time. And uh, and these days, these holidays were the best of family days. And when it came to family, it was the more the merrier, and as the old saying is. And uh, usually, a big wonderful meals were also enjoyed by all of them. And again, that was in the presence of family. I mean, it was it was a great family day uh, before it ever became a wrestling day. And I'm pretty sure on those days there were lots of conversations between everybody in the house about where they were going to later in the day, uh, and maybe which wrestler they liked the best, and what match they were looking forward to the most. So I'm pretty sure uh, arriving at the buildings. And then counting great crowds of fans, man, wow, they would pour in on these nights because the state buildings were always full. And uh, as they arrived and the big crowds are entering the building, and it, it added to the excitement of the whole thing. And uh, for many, I'm sure it kind of felt like being they were all like one big happy family, even with all these strangers. And again, the more the merrier. I mean, you know, the bigger the crowd, the the better the event. And uh, so, uh, so, and then when they went in the door, man, I get to thinking about it. Uh, they got to smell all that popcorn from the concession stands, and they got the opportunity to buy their program, and then they found their seat. And then, uh, and then they were reading a program about uh, what was soon to happen, and, and uh, all that added to the growing anticipation of it all, and and it was enhancing the overall experience. There were probably more smiles than usual at these holiday events, and uh, and I'm sure that uh, many people spoke to others more than they did at regular matches. It was a totally different atmosphere. That's what it was, and. Uh, so I held my first Thanksgiving and Christmas wrestling events beginning in 1976. And I always, they felt proud to be the first, or certainly one of the first, to bring this great tradition to the sport. It hadn't always been that Thanksgiving was a day for everybody to go to wrestling. But uh, in starting in 1976 with my stuff, it, it was, and, and it became a tradition. And I liked to, to back in those days, uh, I like to come early, man, especially on these holiday nights. And I like to park in an elevated spot somewhere close to the arena where I could sit and just watch the cars arriving. It was kind of a thrill for me. And uh, so my favorite favorite part of it all, man, was uh, always uh, being a part of the crowd when it became bell time. 
So on holiday nights, I always made a point of telling the timekeeper. Timekeeper was the guy down at ringside, sat at a table, usually by the ring. He was responsible for ringing the bell at the beginning and the ending of every match and uh, at the beginning of the night. And I always told that timekeeper, made a special point of getting him to come to the dressing room. And I said, I want you to come and tell me before you ring that opening bell. Uh, so when he would show up, then uh, then I would go out and I'd find me a secluded spot uh, out of sight of the fans, but right there close to him, you know, right at the building. They couldn't see me, but I was right there. I could see the whole crowd. It was like, and, and that moment for regular events was a, normally a small taste of enthusiasm and from the crowd when that bell rang the first time. You got a little, you know, people cheered a little bit but wow on these holiday events and every one of these matches was always sold out uh, that first bell uh, to begin it all to begin the whole evening was always welcomed with this huge pop this huge roar from a very appreciative crowd man wow, uh, wow. it was basically goosebump time dave oh dude i can feel it that's awesome what a beautiful way to end a studcast, Ryan, I'm sure the listeners, after hearing that answer, could tell how deeply you still feel about the sport and what it's done for your family. No doubt about it. I only hope you know, stud, what you did for the sport, because we know, certainly. All right, folks on Facebook, if you would like to become friends with a legend, with Ron, to participate in the dueling cards pick and TV pick as well, but you're already fr- you're not already friends, you can become friends by going to his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud Facebook page. Like him there, follow him there, and automatically become friends with a legend. Look for his Studcast, number 278 post, and make your choices. Twitter, find him on Twitter at Ron Fuller Welch. And if you have not already done so, follow him there too. That's another way to participate. Look for his Studcast, number 278 post, to make your choices on Twitter. His YouTube channel is Southeastern Rewind. It's filled with all kinds of information, videos, and studcast. It is also a great place to find out more about what's new on his tremendous streaming channel, ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com is where you find everything that is the Tennessee stud. His classic old-school TV shows are great. There are now 95 Southeastern, 23 Continental, 12 Gulf Coast TV shows available, all in the order which they were recorded. That's how cool that is. Hundreds more are coming. 47 stud stories, six stars of the sport, four superstars of the past, 12 chapters of his audiobook Brutus, plus hundreds of hours of other fantastic old school wrestling. All this for $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year. Plus the free one-week trial is still available. That is the best deal in wrestling. If you're into old-school wrestling, that's where you need to be. All right, Stud, where are we riding next week? Southeastern Knoxville, man, has a six-match card this time. Uh, And after talking about that five-match card that we just came off of, an outstanding card featuring the great Malenko Southeastern Championship belt against Ronnie Garvin's hair. If Garvin doesn't win the title, he's going to shave his head. Also, a two-against-three handicap elimination tag match with Kevin Sullivan and Ken Lucas against Dennis Condry. Phil Hickerson, 
and Ron Wright is going to be in there. It's going to be two against three, basically. And uh, plus a big star is going to be on that next card. He's going to arrive there. He's not going to be on the card, but everybody is going to get a tremendous surprise on that night uh, from something they didn't expect. And uh, we'll obviously have another great TV show to talk about, the results of that card and the attendance. And uh, then we're going to ride south in the southeastern Gulf Coast, uh, both titles going to be up on on the line there. Uh, Tony Charles and David Schultz are going to be going at it again, uh, just the two of them. Novell Austin is going to get his biggest challenge yet for Mr. Wrestling number two. And uh, we're going to break down the TV show there, the results of another big card, and the attendances in the territory. Uh, then given enough time, I, hopefully we'll be able to have another Learning Tree question next week. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening, as always. Uh, please tell your friends and neighbors about us. Take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson your friends and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.